Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 373. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, what's up? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm still still getting moved in, still unpacking and getting organized and all that stuff. My room is still sounding very echoey and I apologize for that. But hopefully soon I'll get some rugs. Looking at rugs right now. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Got some soundproofing panels that I ordered, some rugs, so. Yeah, it, bring that room together. Yeah. Get in the office set up, you know. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Dave Franco's directorial debut, The Rental. We'll also be going over some we're watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Don't really have any housekeeping bits to go over so i think that we can just dive straight in to the rental let's do it two couples rent a vacation home for what should be a celebratory weekend getaway all right Mm. Mm -hmm. we got dan stevens in there we got allison brie sheila vand jeremy allen white and toby huss love love me some toby huss yeah that's that's a solid uh, cast right there very solid cast. Very solid cast of young, great talent. Not a single person in that cast I have a problem with. I like them all. I think they're all great. Same here. Same Ke- here. Kevin, we'll start with you. What did you think of The Rental? The Rental. Completely serviceable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is what it is. It, it, it does its job. You know... I wish there was a little bit more to it. It just, it really feels like <clears throat> Dave Franco, along with uh, Joe Swanberg, who co-wrote the, the screenplay with him. And and by the like, way, just sorry to, sorry to interrupt you for one second. The Joe Swanberg part, boy, does it show. Like, this feels like such yeah. a Joe Swanberg movie to me. Yeah, it does. Uh, but, I like, outside of the 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 original idea, like the whole, the entire like framework of the rental, which is essentially just saying like, Hey, Airbnb is kind of creepy, right? Like, why are we so trusting? Like, that's it. There's really nothing else to it. And I, it's like the, the added, like the, the other side of it, the, like the relationship stuff with these two couples and there being some, some secrets kept or whatever, like, I don't know what the intent was there. Like if that was supposed to be drawn out a little bit more or, or what, but like, you know, right off the bat the opening scene, like the very first scene mm-hmm. when the two, when it's the two of them together in that yeah. office, like it's, okay. it's like, like okay. oh, they're the couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, uh, very obvious where this is going to go and how it's all going to play out. And, at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it plays with themes of trust and all of that stuff. And uh, th- there may be some, some also, maybe some political leanings to it as well with the whole, like, the fact that Toby Huss seemed, seemed to be portraying this kind of racist, uh, like, conservative dude. Um, but that was very, very, very minimal as well. Yeah. And, yeah, like... We've just seen this. This is something that we've seen before. Like Airbnbs are not 
maybe you should be a little concerned about Airbnbs. Like it is a weird concept to think about that you that people can just rent their homes to other people for a short amount of time. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of weird to begin with. Yeah, and it feels it feels like a lot of movies or like a lot of elements of other movies that we've seen just kind of compiled into this one. Because like right off the bat, and I for the life of me, I'm like, I tried finding out what the movie's called and I can't, but we both saw it. It was a Netflix movie where they had to, to show a house. And that was like the whole thing. It's like, you know, that's kind of weird that you leave. You let all these people come through your home. Was it called Open House? And then... You, yeah, yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the one. <laughs> yeah. It reminded this movie reminded me of that. Uh this one's obviously a little bit better. Yeah. Um but it also for whatever reason it kind of reminded me of Creep a little bit. Mhm. Yeah. A little, it, a little it, bit it just, of that. It just it just reminded me of like a lot of movies. And at the end of the day, it is it's a slasher movie. It's it's a pretty standard slasher movie that is of the slow burn variety uh you don't really get there's nothing really creepy that happens until like three quarters in and nothing there's like no nothing serious happens till like the very end so i i felt like it was one of those movies where like the i thought the writing was good i thought the script was fine but at the end of the day i'm just like wow what's the point of this? Like, what is this, what is this bringing to the table that hasn't already been done multiple times before? Like, again, like, like you said, it's serviceable. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you're, I didn't hate it. I definitely didn't hate it while I was watching it. And it kept me fairly entertained throughout, but, and, and that's kind of how the slow burn works is that it always keeps me intrigued up until a certain point, you know, when it finally culminates into something. And then that's the only time where it was just kind of like, Oh, that's, that's it. That's all we're doing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think the, the, the payoff was very satisfying. Like when you, there's like certain revelations that happen in throughout and you're just like, Ooh, okay. Like, you know, like just, just when my interest is waning a little bit, they throw something in that that sort of picks me back up and I'm just like, okay, this is all right. Where are we going with this? But then at the end, it's just like, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect. Like there's no real big twists or huge revelations that, that like, you know, no big bomb drops or anything like that. And the way that it ends up is exactly how you expect it to. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, it brings me back to it. It feels like, Franco and Swanberg have an idea. It's a decent idea. But for me, it just didn't feel like they really built anything off of that. Like they just kind of found some way to get from like a point A to a point B. And it's okay. Like it's not that great. I mean, the whole relationship drama and fidelity thing is, I mean, it's pretty weak. Until you you know you get up to that culminating final act, and again, it just it didn't really work that well for me. Yeah, I guess I was just kind of hoping for for more in general. Just 
maybe a bigger like denouement at the end or some something that really yeah, even really, that felt a little i guess i just was hoping for more now looking at this as a as a debut from dave franco i like dave franco as an actor and i think that he has promise i think he shows promise as a director i think that this was well directed i just think that the the content the material just wasn't super strong but yeah with as far as direction goes i think it was solid like i i want to see i'd be interested to see more movies directed by him and as far as debuts go it's not bad yeah it's just it's it's pretty uh aggressively mediocre (laughs) yeah aggressively mediocre. if yeah if like i wouldn't be surprised if this was a netflix movie it's not but yeah yeah, it seems like Netflix it, it, caliber. It, yeah, it feels like it would be right, right at home on there. Yeah, because I also feel like you could have told me anyone directed this. Like any, you could just made up a name, completely fabricated a name. I would just be like, oh, okay. But, which is the weird thing because I was thinking about Dave Franco, right? Because of maybe being directed by him and all. And I, my initial thought right off the bat was like, I don't like Dave Franco. And then I had to explore that a little bit. I was like, okay, Kevin. Why don't you like Dave Franco? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, you know, I'm thinking, I don't like him as an actor. And then I was trying to like come up with examples, right? Because you, you got to be able to back up your claims, you know. So I'm like, what, what, what movie did I see Dave Franco in that I was like, mm, don't like it? And I, for the life of me, over the course of three days, could not think of a single Dave Franco movie. I couldn't think of anything I've seen him in. You didn't see the 21 Jump Street movies? 21 Jump Street? 22 Jump Street? Yeah, but I don't remember him in it. <laughs> what about Neighbors? He had a pretty good, pretty prominent no, role in Neighbors. I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if I've really seen him in anything <laughs> okay. outside of 21 Jump, the, the Jump Street movies. What, but... a, what about uh, If Beale Street Could Talk? You saw that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, but he didn't do anything in that. He had a really good role in that. I mean, he was, he was a, he just was, Dave Franco. He was just Dave Franco sitting in an empty loft. Yeah, but I thought he did Being a good like, job. Yeah, I don't rent this house, do you? And they're like, oh, nice. I thought he was good in that. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's a bit of a meh for me, despite the strong cast of, of people who I want to see in more roles. Especially Jeremy, like Jeremy, really, I could say it about all of them, but Jeremy Allen White, I just want to see him in more stuff post Shameless. Like, I, I want him to break out from his role as Lip in Shameless and start doing more movies and stuff. Yeah. And of course, Toby Huss. I want to see him in everything. Toby. I think he, he just instantly makes everything so much better. He does. He he has that ability. He just shows up and you're like, yes, Toby's here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Toby's here. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Let's give this a score. I'm pretty much right down the middle on this one. I'm going to say a 5 out of 10. Yeah, I give it like a 4.5, 5. The rental is on VOD right now. So check it out if you're looking for a fairly banal horror thriller <laughs> if you're in the market I, I want to beat that person 
that's what they're really in the mood for right now. I will. I, like, I really look for it, but now, like aggressively mediocre. I will say non-thriller, thriller. Like if you're a huge, if you're a huge Joe Swanberg fan, this has a lot of Swanberg DNA in it. So you might might be into that. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about some of watching. I've been continuing my Godzilla deep dive this week. I caught up with, uh, I don't, I don't know which one I mentioned last week. I know I mentioned the first two, but I don't know if I mentioned King Kong versus Godzilla, which is the third one. So I saw that one. I saw Ghidorah, the three headed monster. I saw invasion of Astro monster. Uh, I saw Mothra versus Godzilla. They're all fine. I don't have too much to say about any one of them. Uh, King Kong versus Godzilla was all right. The, the, the weird thing about this one is that King Kong's the, the suit looks horrendous. Like it doesn't even look close to King Kong. And it's just funny because, you know, it's just a dude in a monkey suit, you know, in, in a gorilla suit. So that one was a little silly. Mothra versus Godzilla is a good one because this is the one that I believe it's the one that sort of introduces that, that iconic score that like theme song. And it's also the last one where Godzilla is just a straight up bad guy. Uh, Mothra is a Mothra is good. Mothra has always been good. And um, Mothra fights Godzilla in this one. And this is the last one where, Godzilla's bad. And it's also the introduction of uh, like a continuity with the movies from, from this point on, all of the movies are sort of linked together. Uh, For instance, in Ghidorah, the three headed monster, which is the next one, you have some of the same characters in it and like Mothra shows up and it's the same form of Mothra that was in the last one. So they start introducing a continuity there. Ghidorah is really good too. Invasion of the Astro Monster is a little bit all over the place. It involves these like aliens from this place called Planet X, but they're like human humanoid, and uh, it's a fine, I guess. Uh, it's it's a little bit more silly than the other ones, but overall, so far, I've really been enjoying my uh, dive into Godzilla, and I look forward to uh, continuing that. Now, my question for you. Since you've you know kind of watched these relatively in a short span of time, are you able to differentiate them in your memory? As of right now, yes. However, I believe I strongly believe as I continue, I will they'll start to blur. They're all going to start to blur together. Because yeah. again, there's there's that. over thirty of them, so they're eventually going to start getting <laughs> mashed together. Yeah, I can see that. I could definitely see that happening. That's good. Hold on to that while you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Witch Hammer from 1970. It was a Czechoslovakian film directed by Odakara Zavra. This is on Amazon Prime. So this is based on the Northern Arabia uh, witch trials from the 1670s. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about this movie is like the text of the court hearings are taken from authentic court recordings of the Inquisition trials that took place between 1678 and 1695. 
So anytime they're doing like the interrogations, it's actually like all the dialogues based on authentic court recordings from that time. That's really interesting. So this is, I mean, it's black and white film. It's pretty standard. Um, There's not a whole lot of creativity going on filmmaking wise. The only thing is like kind of showing like the progression of the, it's more focused on the interrogation part of it and like the effect that that has on the town. And then there's kind of show the progression, like the first set of interrogations. Yes, they walk the witches up to the stakes and they burn them and everything. But from there forward, it's just a quick cut to like the smoldering post with the chains on it and they grow like it's three. And then the next time you see it, it's like seven and it's just, you know, all this ash and smoke, but you don't see any bodies or anything. You know, it just kind of shows you days after or hours after they executed these people. And then it just grows, you know, like 20 posts and then 25 posts. And like it, they, this guy, the, the villain of this movie is he's just a rundown dude who owns an inn with his buddy. They're just drunks. Like he used to do inquisition stuff and they decide like, Oh, we got got to bring this guy in to take care of things. So he immediately realizes that this is the perfect opportunity for him and his buddy. So the only thing that they do is they first go through and investigate everyone's um, finances. Cause that's, they're, they're going to confiscate all of the finances for themselves. So essentially that's all it is. He just picks people that have money and he's like, yeah, you're a witch. And then he just tortures them. And he's like, isn't so-and-so a witch? And this person, this person, this person, of course, they torture him until the woman says, yes, there are witches too. And then he rounds them up. And then anyone that's like, hey, this is kind of getting out of hand. He's like, whoa, why are you defending witches? You know, they're in league with the devil. You must be in league with the devil too. So he ends up just like wiping out like the entire town, just everyone. Like even, even people from the church, like that's a big thing is like the one deacon. He's like a man of like reason and very scholarly and they kind of like button heads. And then he just decides, you know what? You're in league with the devil too. Jeez. And they execute him too. Yeah. It's like, it's such an infuriating watch it made. So even more so by the fact that, you know, from the outset, they're like, okay, this is just all like taken from authentic records. So this is like how it played out. Like they're not exaggerating. So it's definitely it's definitely worth a look if you you know if you're into you know the history of like witch trials and stuff it's definitely a good one. Uh, I saw special actors. This is directed by Shinichiro Ueda. Uh, this is the same guy who did One Cut of the Dead, which was a movie that came out had a really weird release over here in in the U.S. Like it played a lot of festivals, and then it was like not available for a really long time, and then it came out on Shutter. Uh, but at any rate, I loved, loved that movie. And this is his follow-up. And it's a comedy about uh, this, this guy who he has like a lot of, he has a lot of issues with anxiety. And anytime that he gets confronted, he faints. So anytime anybody like confronts him about anything, he faints. But the thing is, he wants to be an actor. So in auditions and stuff, when he's having 
dialogues with other actors, a lot of times it'll be like arguments or whatever, and he'll just faint during the audition. So it's, it's a big problem for him, but he ends up stumbling onto his brother, his younger brother, and his brother works for this company who they're called special actors and they get hired to do things like cry at funerals or um, laugh at movie premieres or uh, trick people into breaking up with their, their boyfriends or girlfriends and stuff like that. It's a real, it's actually a real thing. And there's uh, a lot of movies like with that premise. Yeah. Coming out of Japan. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's a strange, it's a very strange profession. It's a strange occupation. So the hook with this one, though, is so the guy gets involved with them and it turns out that he's like really good at it. And he it's helping him overcome his anxiety and stuff. And they get hired to do this really big job where this this uh, young woman comes up to them and says that that her sister has been essentially brainwashed by a cult. So they have to infiltrate this cult and try to rescue the sister. And it plays out sort of like a heist film, but man, it is, it's fun. It's really good. I had a blast with this, with this movie. Hmm. We have a review for this up on the site and uh, Chris, Chris wrote a review. This played at Japan cuts, which is currently happening. I think it's still happening as of right now. It's which is online, so anybody can uh, enjoy Japan Cuts, which is typically a New York film festival. So definitely check out special actors. Okay, I will. Will do. I think you'll like it. You'll definitely like it. It, it definitely sounds intriguing. Sounds like it could be a good time. Yeah, it's light. It's very light. It's not nothing like heavy about it. It's it's just goofy and fun hey perfect segue for me thank you the assist i saw the cheap detective from 1978 directed by robert moore also on amazon prime this is a farce it's a goof spoof yes goof spoof buddy of detective movies and it's peter falk doing a goof spoof love it peter falk love it he plays he plays the detective and this takes place, in, I think, like the, the 30s, San Francisco in the 30s. But the weird thing about this movie is this is written by Neil Simon. And it's like it's a two-parter goof spoof, kind of like blended together. And the one hand is obviously the detective story and everything that comes with that. And Peter Falk kind of, you know, playing it up. And he's an absolute delight to watch, as you can imagine. It's Peter Falk. I mean, he's such an amazing talent when it comes to community timing and line delivery. But the other goof, goof spoof part of it is like they're goofing um, Casablanca. And so it's like those two movies put together. And when it's operating in the detective part of it, it's great. It's really, it's highly enjoyable, very entertaining. And you get, you know, it's dominated by Peter Falk. It's fantastic. Well, it's not the light. When it's doing the Casablanca stuff, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's just really weird to, to be like, okay, we're going to goof spoof an entire genre mm. of movie 
And then we're also just going to goof one specific movie that, and then somehow force them together. We're going to marry them. And it's just, it's weird. So it was really, it's kind of, um, for me, it was very uneven where I would have these like highs of like, this is, I love this. This is great. Peter Falk, look at him, man. This is fantastic. He's doing his thing. And then I'm just, you know, a couple of seconds later and being like, what the fuck is this? Why am I watching? <laughs> because as you can imagine, it's the seventies. Um, some of the, the comedy is really outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it, a decent portion of it's really dumb, but a good, a good chunk of the dumb stuff works. And then of course the other stuff is just like, wow, this is really dumb. Wow. It's not working for me. But when Peter Falk's doing the dumb stuff, it's great. And it's just, if you're, and this is what happened to me, right? I needed to watch a movie. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I want to watch. And then it hit me. I'm like, I just, I want to watch Peter Falk, really, to be honest. I just want to watch Peter Falk and something I haven't seen him in before. And so if that's you, if you're looking for Peter Falk in a comedy, this isn't going to disappoint. I can guarantee it. You're going to get what you want. Peter Falk is going to give you what you want. All right. I'm going to add this to my list. And this is on Amazon Prime. So you can check it out there. Mm-hmm. The Cheap Detective. Uh, I saw a movie called The Pool. This is on, yes. on Shudder. It's an Indonesian horror film. A little bit of a containment thriller and a creature feature. Throw it into one. About a guy who he is, he's like a, it's like a production He's like an art department guy on, uh, I think it's like a, I don't know if it's like a music video or a commercial or short film or it's something he's doing a shoot and the shoot takes place in this giant pool outside and the shoot finishes. He's wrapping up last day. Everybody leaves. He's just chilling out by the pool for a little bit, a little bit longer before he leaves. Uh Oh, he falls asleep on a raft and somebody mm. somebody pulls the plug on the pool so it starts to drain. And when he wakes up, he's like way, way down. Now, there's still water left in the pool, but he's stuck down there. There's no ladder, so he can't get out. It's a six-meter deep pool. And mm. he ends up hurting himself, and his girlfriend comes, and she doesn't realize that the pool is almost empty at this point. What does she do? She goes up on the diving board and he tries to warn her. She slips, falls, hits her head, ends up in the pool with him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Come on, guys. Yeah. Let's make, let's, let's up the ante a little bit. A crocodile is on the loose. Giant croc. Guess what? That crocodile gets in the pool. So now they're in, they're stuck in a six meter deep deserted pool with a giant crocodile Mm. and it just gets worse and worse and worse for them that's just that's just scratching the surface of the shit show that this guy has to go through now it's ridiculous it is utterly ridiculous the cg on the crocodile is horrendous (laughs) it's it's very bad but and and at first when i first saw it i was like oh i don't know if i'm about to get past this like it's that bad Fortunately, I I was, but 
it it's really promising at first but unfortunately there's like a few things that happen first of all like some of the stuff that happens you're just like no way there's like no way this would happen it's utterly unbelievable in every regard and there's something really shitty that happens towards the end i will say it does involve a dog and what they do is it doesn't make sense but it's also like it just feels so mean-spirited and unnecessary and uh i just i couldn't it that that completely lost it for me but up until the very end i thought it was pretty fun i got i got a question logistics wise here like when the crop gets in the pool how much water is it like is, is there enough water that it no, no, there's, there's so no is water. It like falls. Yes, it, it falls into a pool. Yeah, it falls in. So basically, so the guys, the guy's dog is also tied up outside outside of the pool, and the dog, when the dog sees the croc, the dog barks, and it like kind of startles the croc. And the, there's like these um, these like poles, these like pipes. And the croc is mm. sort of standing on these pipes and it knocks the pipes into the pool with the croc. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't crawl in. A little cartoon. doesn't crawl in voluntarily. Cartoon. Yeah. It's... A slippery pipe, pipe action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can hear the music now. It kind of is actually oh, a bit cartoonish. <laughs> anyway. Does the croc get injured when it falls in the pool? Does it what? Does the croc get injured when it falls in the pool? Or nah, just, nah, nah. He just he's just like whatever. I'm yeah, now. Yeah, she just kind of plops in there. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. Like you find out there's there's so many like twists and revelations and stuff. There's one really great twist that happens t- near the very end that I oh. I freaking loved. But it, by that point, I was like, it was a little, it was a little too much. Is that the one with the crocodile being diabetic? <laughs> no, the guy that that is an interesting. <laughs> so the guy, the guy is diabetic and he doesn't have his insulin. So there's like a whole scene with him trying to get his insulin shots. It's a very, mm. very harrowing scene. There's a lot of really tense moments for sure. Well, I can't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, you would think that would be pretty easy with. You know, someone being stuck in a pool with a crocodile. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like, it's not just the crocodile. I mean, first of all, he's stuck down there for quite a while before the crocodile shows up. And even after the crocodile shows up, it pretty much just lays there on the other side of the pool and leaves him alone for the most part. He just has to, like, be aware of it, you know? Like, that's probably how it would be in real life, you know? It's like, as long as you don't mess with it, it's probably going to keep its distance. Yeah, but at the same time, if that croc can't get out either, right, it's gonna get hungry. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's sort of what happens. And then there's more twists on top of that, like more layers on top of that 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 complicate matters even more. Um, let's just say it's a mommy croc. Oh shit! So yeah, there's 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 plenty of. Uh, things i mean that that's kind of the the cool thing about it is like there's a lot more going on here than just the crocodile like there's the fact that they're stuck in this pit essentially for days and days and days Hmm. 
I mean, like comparing this to Crawl, which was a movie that you know came out around the same time that this originally came out. Uh, Crawl is like infinitely better than this, but if this is still kind of a like a silly, sillier version of that, I just I wish it didn't take itself so seriously. That's I think that's part of the problem, and the the whole th- scene yeah. scene with the dog was unnecessary at best. Mm-mm-mm. I only saw one other movie. That was a, a short film, twenty four minute film, one movie, uh, Villa and Pain from from this year, directed by Katharina Kastner. And it's it's just a doc that like navigates the spaces of the museum, which is Villa uh, and Pain, which was built as like a public or private residency and then got taken away then it became like a soviet embassy then it became a tv studio and then i guess it got like renovated and now it's like an art museum right in belgium and it's just kind of camera in the different rooms checking stuff out it's mildly interesting because i mean for me like i'll probably never go to belgium i'll probably never go to this place so it's nice to be inside of it and see stuff. I mean, it's in, it's a wonderful building and the architecture is incredible, but at the same time, it just really felt like a high end virtual tour and that's about it. So, you know, a little bit disappointed. It just, to me, it just didn't feel like much more than that because there's really no dialogue. There's nothing. It's just, you know, cut up. They're in this room and then the camera's in this room. And then the camera's kind of, there's a giant swimming pool and a pergola. It's like kind of like a, a horseshoe shape to the whole outside of the, the pool area. And the camera just kind of goes along, looks up, and like that's it. So at 24 minutes, it just seems like a bit much. Yeah. If this was much shorter, maybe I would have been like, oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was good stuff. But in 24 minutes, it's just like, okay, I've seen the museum now. Cool. <laughs> uh, the, the last one that I'll mention is a documentary called Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show. Uh, this is a Hulu documentary, <clears throat> so you can check it out on Hulu. It's directed by Josh Greenbaum. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I, f- I found this documentary to be tremendously funny. Now, if you're maybe too young to remember or just didn't watch it, uh, Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey had his own sketch show back in the nineties for a, a very short minute. <laughs> it was on for, I think eight episodes. Uh, I think maybe seven of them actually ran before it got canceled, but it is. So this documentary just sort of chronicles the, how, how the show came to be like, how they created it uh, what happened, all of that stuff. And it interviews, uh, obviously Dana Carvey, but pretty much everybody who was involved in the show. Um, this is where Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert got their start. They were at second city in Chicago and they both got pulled on to be writers and cast members of, of this show. So that that's sort of how they got their big break. Uh, Robert Smigel was one of the showrunners, and uh, obviously Robert Smigel's 
He did a bunch of really great stuff before this, and he continued to do great things after this as well. And um, Louis C.K., but we won't really talk about him, but he was one of the head writers as well. And uh, it's just a really, really funny, entertaining documentary. And uh, if you're into like comedy and stuff, I, I, I would recommend it. I feel like this, is a sh- this is, was a show that maybe it wasn't on the right network, and maybe it was a little bit too too ahead of its time. But when you see sort of these more subversive sketch shows now, like um uh what's the one on net I think you should leave? Is that the one on Netflix? The the mm-hmm. name of it? Yeah. Like when you see something like that, I feel like that that's like sort of in line with what the Dana Carvey show was. And I just I just don't think it was the right network for it honestly because it it was pretty funny but it was just not the type of comedy that i think appealed to the home improvement crowd which it aired after home improvement on abc i think that uh people were expecting you know church lady and garth and this was uh this was a lot more abstract a lot more subversive than than those characters it was more like a kids in the hall style really but uh yeah i'd recommend checking it out too funny to fail it's on hulu all right let's take a look at what we have on vod this week on the 28th we have instaband this is uh a unique documentary film about today's music artist and their hustle to try and achieve music stardom armed with the social media and smartphone yeah okay. yeah that was wonderful we have stockton on my mind this is uh on hbo we have nose to tail this is over one increasingly frantic day and night a talented but abrasive chef struggles with personal demons and the pressures of running a high-end restaurant mm. yeah right pass on that Legacy of Lies comes out. That's a Scott Atkins vehicle. Okay. And then on the 29th, we have Gordon Lightfoot. If you could read my mind, it's a little Gordon Lightfoot doc there. Oh, about time. Yeah. I know you're, I know you're excited for that one, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know you're a big Lightfoot head. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. I celebrate his entire catalog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have Shine Your Eyes. That's on Netflix. And we have Summerland. This is on the 31st. This is uh, starring Gemma Arterton. Got the Big Ugly. Starring Vinnie Jones. Bit of an action movie. Crime thriller. Vinnie Jones. And then we have Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. I'm actually kind of interested in this. I watched the trailer for this, and I thought it looked pretty funny. Okay. It stars uh, Romani Malco and Regina Hall. All right, on Blu-ray this week, we have 13 Ghosts from 2001 coming out. We got The Tenant from 1976, Graveyard Shift from 1990. That might be worth a look. Apocalypto from 2006. Remember that? Apocalypto? Uh, vaguely. Remember there was like 
It was the talk of the town there for a minute. Oh, yeah? Remember because it was in like, oh, yeah. it was it like in a different language. Gibson. Yeah, it was the Mel Gibson directed one and the whole thing was in like a different language and big deal. Huh. Yeah. We have Best Friends from 1975. Is this a Vinegar Syndrome? Looks like it. Yeah, that's a Vinegar Syndrome. She became the ravaged victim of a century of revenge. There you go. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Old Dragon from night. Sorry, Old Dragon. Old Dracula from yeah. 1975. That's also Vinegar Syndrome. Demonia from 1990. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from 1916. We have The River from 1984. Lorenzo's Oil from 1992. Uh, Against All Flags from 1952. Looks like Wonder Woman is getting a new 4K release. Um. The Public Eye from 1992, starring Joe Pesci. Ooh. I never even heard of this movie. I have to see it. I have to see it. Uh, The Other Lamb from earlier this year. Gandala from uh, last year, I believe. This is the from the guy. It's the guy who did a bunch of uh, uh, Joko Anwar. That's who that's who I'm thinking of. The guy who did Satan's Slaves, and he had a mm. he had a movie called Impedagore, which is on Shutter that was recently released on Shutter, and I, I'm I've been meaning to I added that to my list. I've been meaning to check that out. We'll get to it. I know, just not enough hours in the day. The Bucks County Massacre. The what? The Bucks County Massacre from 2010. 2010, huh? Yep. It says a group of friends get together for a 25th birthday party at a remote house in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. After someone goes missing and the police search the premises to no avail, the remaining party goers are left to wait until morning. But guess what? Something tells me they're going to get killed. They they are. One by one. The the tagline is the Blair Witch meets paranormal activity at Cloverfield. (laughs) Oh, God. Come on, PA. You can do better. I like that the plot keywords are Pennsylvania, number one, and then number two, throat ripping. Ooh. <laughs> Found yeah. footage mockumentary, apparently. So it's a comedy then? I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. action horror thriller. All right. It doesn't have comedy in there, but I wonder if it is a mockumentary or if someone just slapped that on there. Yeah, I don't know. All right, any criterions this week? I don't think so. I don't see any on the list, uh, so I don't, yeah. I don't think so. All right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net, and you can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider giving us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that very much. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>